Before we get started this morning, I just want to announce to the congregation that uh, Olivia Newman and I met uh, last night, and she expressed uh, sin in her life, and she wanted us to pray about it, and she wanted me to tell you about it. So, uh, one more time, let's all pray together. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father, you're wonderful and great and awesome, mainly because through your Son Jesus, regardless of what we do, our sins can be forgiven. We pray, Father, for Olivia and all of us as we strive to live this on this earth to do your will. And sometimes, Father, we, we lose focus of uh, your will and your word. And, Father, we just continually ask for your forgiveness. And, Heavenly Father, we ask you now to be with us in this lesson. And, and Father, may you be a, prick all of our hearts to be better servants for you. Father, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Marty, thank you. That's a long reading, and I was asked four or five times. You mean the entire chapter? You mean the entire chapter? And yes, even though we're specifically looking at a couple of verses, I want to read the entire chapter to get, a, get a, the essence of what really is going on here. We're going to look at a couple of verses, mainly as I said, because those two verses of Isaiah 53, verse 7 and verse 8, is going to... Is going to bring about a conversation we're going to look at in actually in Acts chapter 8 between two people. But I want to read that entire chapter of Isaiah 53 because as you read it, you can understand that something really bad is going to happen to somebody. Yet, that somebody is going to turn around and be exalted and do something great. And that's a beautiful chapter to read. I always read it sometimes before the Lord's Supper. I think it's apt to do so. But uh, as you think about those verses, and you think about this book also called the book of Acts, it is to say the least an extremely important book in our journey to heaven. It tells us about the birth of the church. The book of Acts does. The book of Acts tells us how the, the church got out of the cradle and began to walk. It answers that question, what must I do to be saved? The book of Acts is obviously invaluable to one's spiritual growth. The book of Acts is also known as the book of conversions. In Acts chapter 2, the day the church began, 3,000 obeyed the gospel. Chapters 3 and 4, thousands more at Solomon's porch obeyed the gospel. When in, in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, many more obeyed the gospel. So this morning, though, I don't want us to look at thousands being converted. I want to look at one person being converted. A discussion between two people, an evangelist and a treasurer for a queen, how that treasure is converted and saved. And they're going to talk about this, the topics like the Old Testament and Old Testament prophecies and becoming a Christian. Now, I know several of you are already tuning me out because you know this chapter better than I'm probably going to expound upon it. I want to ask you whatever preconceived thoughts that you may have about Acts chapter 8. Let's still let the Bible teach us what we are supposed to learn. So let's look at Acts chapter 8 now. Begin with verse 26. Acts chapter 8 
and verse 26. The first thing we need to understand is, I've already mentioned, there's two people that we're going to mainly talk about. That's going to mention an angel. And it's going to mention the Holy Spirit. But there's two really antagonists in this saga, if you will. Let's read beginning with verse 26 and verse 27. It reads, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Well, let's talk about these two individuals just for a second. A quick biographical sketch, if you will. Philip. We're first introduced to Philip in Acts chapter 6. And our Bible bowlers know this quite well, hopefully. There was a dispute over widows who were being neglected. So the apostles make the decision to tell the church in Jerusalem, choose seven men with certain criteria and we'll appoint them over this work because it was an important work. Philip was one of those seven. And part of those criteria was they had to be of a good reputation, had to be full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. That's who Philip was. We also find Philip in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. Why was Philip there in Samaria? Because this great persecution had started and people had to leave Jerusalem. So Christians were being, becoming refugees and having to leave their city. Philip was one of those. And we find Philip in Samaria. Well, what was he doing there? Notice verse 4 to verse 6 of chapter 8. It tells us, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. What was the outcome of Philip going down to Samaria? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Several years later, after this text that we're reading, Philip is in Caesarea, and he's known as an evangelist, still doing God's work. So that's a brief sketch of Philip. There's also this treasurer. We're told he is from Ethiopia, which is on the continent of Africa. He was a eunuch. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus expounded on that a little bit. There's various ways, various reasons for one to be a eunuch, but usually because of their situation, they were considered trustworthy people. They could be counted on. And they were sometimes given authority, as this gentleman is. He was ruled, he ruled under Candace. Candace was like a title. Pharaoh, Caesar, Herod. He had great authority. He was over the queen's treasure. The royal treasure, if you will. But he had come to Jerusalem some if I've counted right, some 1,000 miles to worship. To worship. This tells us many things about this treasure. He seemed dedicated. He seemed obedient. And he definitely seemed to love God. So these two individuals, Philip and this treasurer, are now destined for one of the great moments in the Bible. What is that moment? Read with me beginning in verse 28. The text states, And sitting in his chariot, he, the treasurer, was reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now let's stop a second and analyze what's going on. The treasurer is reading from the prophet Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53, verse 7 and verse 8. Isaiah is known as the messianic prophet. We know from Isaiah chapter 7 that this person, this Messiah, this Christ would be born of a virgin. For example, in chapter 9, we read about how the Gentiles who were in spiritual darkness would have light and salvation given to them. You read about in chapter 40 how sin would be paid for. And there's so many others we could talk about. But that's who they are reading from. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and verse 8 specifically. So as Philip approaches the chariot, he hears the treasurer reading and apparently knows somehow what he is, what he is reading. So from this, a conversation ensues. Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading? Now, there's a big difference in reading something and understanding something. Now, I know that full well. When, I, when I, I can read something, and then in my mind, things start happening. It's like, you, ever, you know, old time, you could turn a radio, you'd hear, you'd hear a station, you'd hear static, you'd hear a station, you like... In the Middle East today, violence broke out. Baby, 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 oh. And the, volunt- and the Commodores are defeat. I won't go there. And you know, you hear all those things. All right? That's what's going on in my head. I'm reading something. And several chapters later, what did I just read? Because I'm not concentrating. And I don't think Philip's being arrogant when he says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand it? Do you comprehend it? Are you getting the full context of the message? And can you apply it? And then the treasurer's response tells us a lot to me about him also. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? You know, a prideful person would probably say, yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I'm fine. But he doesn't do that. He says, how can can I unless someone guides me? That's an attitude of humility to me. The treasurer is stating he needs some guidance. So he invites Philip into the chariot, a total stranger, mind you. And off they go down the road discussing God's word, particularly Isaiah 53, verse 7 and verse 8. The treasurer wants to know something, though. Who's being discussed in this passage? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? Who is Isaiah talking about? 
That's the door. That's the door that Philip needed. The door has been opened. Let me ask you something real quick. Have you ever had that opportunity in your life where a door has been opened to talk to somebody about the gospel? You know what type of uh, responsibility that is. I have on occasions, many occasions, had that door open and all kinds of thoughts go into your mind and all kinds of emotions begin to flood inside you. You might get, your palms might get sweaty, depending on what the, what's coming up when that door is open. Because when that door is open, you're not going to say no what's on the other side, what's going to be asked. And it could happen at any moment. You could be working in a factory on an assembly line and the boss says, hey, Hill, let's go this line. And you go over there and this guy, oh, yeah, don't you go to that Church of Christ by the fairgrounds? Let me ask you something. Or you're working at an office and you go to the water cooler and somebody you're getting water and somebody all of a sudden out of the blue, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. Hey, let me... Well, you're going to Walmart. <laughs> and somebody asks you something. That's a door open. A door has been opened to Philip. I want to notice something how he handles this. And I think it's a good advice for us. What's the first thing Philip does when that door is open? A lot of times, I've been guilty of this, and maybe you have. You're sitting there, you're studying, and the first thing you do is start talking. You start talking. What's the first thing Philip did? He listened. He let the treasurer talk. He said, let's read this. And he asked him some questions, and Philip is listening. That's the first thing he does. He allowed the treasure to read and talk before speaking. But secondly, Philip was ready. He was ready to respond. Beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And the Bible, in so many passages, talks about. Peter brought it up. Be ready to give a defense for what you believe. For the hope that is in you. He was ready. But what possibly could Philip have talked about concerning Jesus, particularly from this passage from Isaiah 53, verse 7 and verse 8? What he could have talked about? Well, there's several things. If you go back and look at verse 32 and 33 of what the, the text states that Isaiah writes, maybe Philip talked about how Jesus refused to answer Pilate. From Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 19. Maybe that's something they talked about. Maybe, maybe Philip talked to him about how Jesus, as he's going to his death, is not going crazy, not trying to break away, not trying to get free, but humbles himself and goes to not just dying, the most horrific death, arguably, that man's ever known, to be crucified. Maybe Philip talked to him about yeah, Jesus did die, but people are talking about it everywhere now. Maybe Philip preached to him, preached to Jesus, or preached to the treasurer, the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 4, here's what Paul told the church at Corinth. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, 
which also you received and in which you stand, but which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It may have been that and other things. We don't know. But he preached to him Jesus. One thing we do know, though, there's one particular subject that they did talk about. It came up in conversation somehow. Look with me in verse 36 of Acts chapter 8. Or verse 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. We know one thing they talked about. He preached Jesus to him. Somewhere on this chariot ride, as they're discussing Isaiah 53 as their main text, and then from that, Philip preaches Jesus. In the conversation, baptism came up. And the treasurer wanted to know about it. And we know this from from the treasurer's comments. He says, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So the subject comes up. Why did it come up, though? Why why would this subject come up? I'll give you two thoughts on that. There's more than that. He's preaching Jesus, remember? Jesus himself was baptized. And if you remember the text, he came to John the Baptist and wanted to be baptized, and John wouldn't, he didn't want to do it. But Jesus said, no, you have to, to fulfill all, what church? To fulfill all righteousness. Because it's the right thing to do. Jesus himself was baptized, but number two, Jesus commanded it. In several passages, Jesus commanded it. Mark 16 and verse 16, and you know that verse. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he does not believe will not be saved, will be condemned. Jesus was baptized and he commanded Baptism. So it's blatantly obvious that Philip brought up the subject of baptism and told the treasurer, among other things, you have to be baptized. Why else would the treasurer be asking the question, what hinders me? What's stopping me, Philip? So that brings up another great question. What was stopping him? What would have hindered this treasurer from being baptized? And some might think, well, nothing. If I may, I would, I, would, I would debate you on that. I would argue on that. Let me make my point on that. Because I've seen it. Immersion without having faith is useless. From my study of the Scriptures, to put somebody in this water to put them under and bring them up and they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ? Is that biblical? Remission of your sins, sins washed away, baptism. No, it's not. 
All people in the Bible that you read about in the New Testament who were baptized were what first? Believers. They had faith. They were penitent. Philip needed to know if the treasurer now truly believed and understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. He needed to know because immersing a faithless person is a waste of time. It means nothing. Baptism, for, for Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, is for the remission of sins. In Acts 22 and verse 16, what Ananias told Paul was to wash away your sins. Peter wrote about this. In, in, in one of his letters, in chapter 3 and verse 21 of 1 Peter, it was an appeal for a clear conscience. When he said, there's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul brought this up and talked about how it was symbolic of the death and the resurrection of Jesus in Romans chapter 6. But you had to have faith first. I don't know how many conversations I've had, countless conversations, where somebody will come up and say that you people in the churches, capital C, churches of Christ, all you teach is water salvation. Meaning all you teach is you be baptized and you're saved and that's it. And I've, I've been to a lot of gospel meetings. And I've been to, definitely been to a lot of youth retreats and youth days read quite a bit, but in all the sermons I've ever heard, I have never, to this day, I've never yet heard a preacher from a pulpit say, and all you got to do is be baptized and that's it. I have never heard that. I don't think you have either. If you have, we need to talk to that preacher. Just being immersed in water is not enough. You have to have faith. The Bible teaches that if you have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you obey everything the Bible teaches, you can become a Christian. And that means repentance also. That means having faith. But once the treasurer had supplied the answer Philip was looking for, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, something else happened. And I've had this conversation, and I'm saying this just as a practical thing to talk about. I'm not trying to make anybody mad. Um, but you know, denominations will sometimes say, "Well, I'll just they just talk about baptism. That's all you got to do." Uh, they make a big deal out of it. But we sometimes follow denominationals' lead because sometimes, and I've had this happen. I've had a young person, especially, come up and say, "Well, I'm, I'm, I want I want to be baptized." I'm like, oh, awesome! That's great, awesome. And this happens. I don't have this happens several times. So that's great. And I say, all right. Uh, then we'll talk a little bit. She goes, okay. Uh, they'll say, uh, and I want to do it uh, Wednesday night when my family can be there. If baptism, if a faithful, believing person who has been in their heart is ready to be baptized, are they not where they need to be to be saved? And if I go along with, oh, that's fine. Yeah, I'll meet you a week later. Folks, I don't think that's right. Because look at the immediacy of this treasure. He commanded on the spot, stop this chariot, or at least when they found some water. He said, here's some water. He commands the chariot to stop, and they get out, and they both go down into the water. Why? Because water is immersion. And he's baptized. 
He wanted to do it right then. He understood where he stood and wanted to take care of his sin problem at that moment. And no doubt he had repented, he confessed the great name, as we just read, and he wanted to be baptized for the remission of his sins. Verse 39. What was the aftermath of that? Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, but notice, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he, the eunuch, the treasurer, went on his way rejoicing. The treasurer went on his way rejoicing. Salvation produced joy. The treasurer had found the truth that sets people free. The immediate response was happiness. He was overjoyed. The treasurer rejoiced because he had found what was lacking in his life. You see, he had a foundation. Remember, he had come a thousand miles to Jerusalem to worship God in these cities. And when he found out that what he was reading from, coincidence? I don't think so. From Isaiah chapter 53, and if Philip comes along and shows him, oh yeah, Let me tell you who this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Christ. He's the one who fulfilled all this. And as Philip preached that to him and preached the good news to him and then told him, okay, you've got to be baptized, he stopped as soon as he found water and took care of that and became a Christian. Think about the question of the treasurer and now apply it to your situation. What hinders you from being baptized. Or, if I may paraphrase, what hinders you from obeying the gospel? What hinders you from understanding that sin has permeated your life? It's wrecking your life, spiritually speaking. It's keeping you from God. It's sending you on a road to hell. It's not going to take you to heaven. What hinders you from taking care of that right now? What's stopping you? And you know what? Usually the answer is you. So this morning, the invitation is to you. And if you need the gospel, you need salvation in any way, and we can help you even today, let it be known as we stand and sing.